Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And then two verses in chapter 21, verse 15, whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. And then skipping to chapter 22, verse 28, you shall not revile God nor curse a ruler of your people. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your holy word. Simple words that are written for us and yet profound implications in each one of our lives. And so we pray that you would guide our hearts and our minds to understand what you were trying to say, you were saying to us uh, through these scriptures. And so we open our hearts to you. We trust that you are our King and our God. You know what is good for us. So we open our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. So today, uh, we are looking at the fifth of the Ten Commandments, honor your father and your mother. And this commandment is so important for us. I, I think if there's one commandment that cuts the deepest uh, for us as Americans, I think it's this one. Because uh, theologians have said throughout history that the fifth commandment isn't just about your relationship to your parents. Um, it is... Uh, about how we relate to all people who are in authority in our lives. So, for example, the Bible calls lots of different kinds of people fathers and mothers, rulers, military chiefs, prophets, wisdom teachers, church leaders, and even just older people. These are all called mothers and fathers in the Bible. And so pretty much any relationship where there's a, a hierarchy, the fifth commandment applies, and we're called to honor these fathers and mothers. But at the heart of our culture, of American culture, is a revolt against authority. Our nation began as a revolution, and all the different ethnic groups that moved here were leaving their homelands, leaving their fathers and mothers, to come and start a new world. That's what, our, that's what made our culture. And, you know, in traditional cultures, a person's identity was deeply tied to their extended family and their mothers and their fathers. You know, if your dad was a baker, you became a baker. Your dad was a smith, you became a smith. And your identity was about being a part of the family. And, uh, but in America, everyone left all those traditional authorities and said, I'm going to be my own person. The most important thing in life is freedom. No one tells me what to do. So we have a deep suspicion about any kind of authority in our lives. How do you react to words like these? Honor, obey, submit, revere. We resist these kinds of words. And the problem with this mentality is that we're not meant to live our lives as individuals. We are not meant to be I'm not meant to be my own person. I'm meant to live in a community. And what holds any community together is fathers and mothers. Deep down, God made us to need these fathers and mothers in our lives. 
And in a community only stays together when the people in the community honor and revere those fathers and mothers. And so this is my thesis for us this morning. If you don't have obedience or submission or honor of authority in your life, you will not have community in your life either. If you do not have a heart that will honor people who are owed honor, you will be alone. And we are living in a society that is facing an epidemic of loneliness, and I think this is the reason why. I'm my own person, and we got what we asked for. So this morning, I want to talk about the question of authority in our lives, and I'd like to do it by asking these three questions. First, who are our fathers and mothers? Who are our fathers and mothers? That's a big question. I'm going to spend most of my time answering that. But then second, important questions how can their authority, how can any authorities ever be challenged? You know, there's fathers and mothers who have authority in our life. Can they ever be challenged? Can we ever go against, does this commandment say we can never get, go against those authorities? And then the last is then, how can we learn to love authority? How can it, we, it turn out it's good news and embrace from our hearts the authorities that God has brought into our life? So three questions this morning. First is this, who are our fathers and mothers? Well, the Bible says that God has established three institutions or communities that hold together human society. There's the family, there's the church, and there's the government. And each of these communities has been given an authority structure to it. And so when we ask, who are our fathers and mothers, it's helpful to think about each of these three communities. So that's what we're going to do. So the first community, I'm going to spend the most time on this, is our families. And our families, our fathers and mothers, of course, are our parents. The Bible tells us that a father is the head of a family or a household and that a mother and father are given authority over their children. And you can see in these verses how seriously God intended that the authority of this structure of families is, was to be respected in ancient Israel. You saw those two, uh, two verses in chapter 21 where it says in verse 15, whoever strikes his father or mother shall be put to death. So physical violence against a father or mother in ancient Israel was a capital crime. And not only physical violence, but even some words that you could speak against a father and mother. You know, whoever curses, verse 17, whoever curses his father and mother shall be put to death. There is a deep gravity given to this institution in, the, in, in God's word. And our culture has in many ways lost a vision for fathers as heads of our house, households, and for parents as authorities. You know, by the way, I watched this last week, the movie um, The Quiet Place. And if you haven't seen it, it's, I don't know, it's a horror movie maybe, but it's scary, and uh, it'll make you jump. It's very well done, and it has an incredible depiction of a father in it. And it's rare that we see something like that. Uh, a father who's courageous and teaching his children, protecting his children, sacrificing for his children. And it's, it's, it's worth your time to watch it. It was a great encouragement. But I want to tell you that if you are a parent, God has put you in a place of authority in your child's life. Your child needs authority in their life. More than they need a friend, more than they need a buddy. You know, we all hope that, you know, our children will grow up and we can have something like a friendship to them. In some ways, we'll always be parents to them. Um, but they need someone who knows them, directs them, teaches them, loves them, cares for them, 
and who disciplines them. And the Bible says that if you are a parent, you are in a position worthy of honor. Your children need to learn to honor you. They need to learn to respect your authority. And you need to embrace the dignity of your position that God has given to you. Embrace the dignity. And so when as a parent, you're consistently and diligently and lovingly disciplining your children, you are giving a blessing to them. When you discipline it, it is an incredible blessing. And actually, the Apostle Paul later in the Bible, in the book of Ephesians, um, talks about this commandment, the fifth commandment. And he notices that this is the first commandment that has a promise connected to it. You see there in verse 12 again where it says, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. There is something about when a child learns to respect the authority of their parents... It is, going to, it is going to pay dividends in their life for a lifetime. Way into the future, it's going to extend their life. It, it's, their prosperity and their flourishing is somehow deeply tied to the lesson that they learned early on that I honor my mother and my father. There's blessing in it. And so there's an important charge to you children. Parents, now's the time to nudge your children. Listen up, children. I want to see your eyeballs. Children. The Bible, not a lot of times, speaks to directly to children. I mean, it's always, the Bible's always speaking to all of us. But the Bible tells you how to love your parents. And some of you, I know you love your parents, but there's different ways you love your parents. Maybe hugs and kisses. I love hugs and kisses for my kids. Maybe you like to draw something and give it to your parents and say, look what I made, look what I drew. Those are all good things, but the Bible doesn't talk about those. The Bible says the way that you love your parents is by obeying them. They feel loved when you say, yes, mom. Yes, dad. That's not just for little kids. You know, teenagers. I know you're in a uh, time of your life where you say, you know, I'm becoming my own person. I'm, I don't just think everything my parents think. I'm, I'm thinking about my own spiritual life and, and my own personal relationship to God one of the things God is going to show you in your own personal spiritual life is that the way you love your parents is by honoring them, listening to them, learning from them. And it's a posture of humility. This is a charge to you. That's a part of your maturity. So the starting place for us is to recognize that the family is the most fundamental community God has made us to live in. And the way we honor this community is by honoring the parents. Now, I know for many of you, uh, especially you know, if you're an adult, maybe even if you're younger than an adult, you might say, my parents are really difficult. Whenever I go to their house, it's awkward. We're so different. I, I don't even know how to be around them. There has been a lot of dysfunction in my relationship with them. They don't have this dignity that you're describing about what a, who a parent should be. And... What do you have to say to that? Well, God's first wisdom is honor them. What does it mean to honor? Let me, I'll read what one commentator, this is how he describes honor. To honor is to, to prize highly, to show respect, to glorify and exalt. Moreover, it has nuances of caring for and showing affection it is a term frequently used to describe the proper response to God, and it is akin to worship. 
Moreover, the parallel command in Leviticus 19 actually uses terms of fear, give reverence to, which is otherwise reserved for God. And so you might say, how can I say honoring words, glorify parents who have failed me in so many ways? Well, I want to give three important questions to that. Now, this is a big, que- this is a big question. I'm looking out at couple hundred people, and I know you all have different families, different parents, so hear me out. First, a few challenges. First, the way that we can honor imperfect parents is because God has honored us as imperfect sinners. What the gospel tells us is that if you're a Christian, Jesus has lived the perfect life for you, and he has died to wash away all your sins. That means that God speaks about you. The way he speaks about you is that you are good. You are all that God dreamed you would be. Uh, You know, you are beautiful. And yet, every single one of us have failed God every single day of our lives. And so when it comes to our parents, the first, the honoring of anyone who doesn't deserve honor, we give honor not because a person deserves it, but because God has commanded it. And because God has bestowed honor on us that we didn't deserve, so we are going to have a life filled with giving honor to people who don't deserve it. The second is that we honor the office and not the person. And this is a really important one. This is something my wife Shannon pointed out to me this week, that we should make a distinction between the position, the role a person holds, and the person's character. That we should honor our fathers and mothers because we believe in fatherhood and motherhood. It's because we believe in the institution of the family, and it gives me... that, uh, that gives me reason to respect anyone who holds the position of father or mother. In uh, Ephesians, the Apostle Paul says it this way. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, that's God, from whom every fatherhood in heaven and earth is named. Anyone who has the name Father is borrowing it from God. And it is because we respect God that we respect the title Father. But I think the third reason is that we are a model for how our children will, will honor us. You know, for those of you who now have, are now parents, you're, as soon as you become a parent, you're shocked at how sinful you are. And uh, in the same way that you think your parents just did not get it, they didn't get how to be parents, you become a parent and you're like, oh, I don't get it. My kids are going to be saying about me that I don't get it. And it would mean a great deal to you if your children, when they grew up, put as much of a positive spin on their childhood as they could. You know, I know for my kids, throughout their childhood and their adulthood, I want us to be able to have honest conversations where they can tell me, hey, this is, this is when you were too harsh on me. This is when, parent, you know, you hurt me. And I want to be able to ask for their forgiveness and them forgive me. I, this doesn't mean they can't be honest with me. But it would be a tremendous mercy if they said, you did the best you could. And there were a lot of good things, and I won't forget those, and I'm so thankful you're in my life. And if your children told you good things you did, it would be some of the words that you will treasure more than any in your life. If you want that from your children, then you need to give that to your parents. Your children are watching how you talk about your parents. And if you're tearing your parents down all the time, that's the language that they're learning to talk about you. And uh, we are a model to them. 
And I want to say one reason why I'm spending so much time on this is I think this is especially important for our generation ever since Freud. We have lived in an increasingly therapeutic society, and uh, we are all very acutely aware of the impact that our family of origin has had on our psyche and our emotional life and our families. Many of us have been to counseling and we've gone back and we've explored our childhood. And I would say there are profound insights in that. Those are important lessons to learn. Like, wow, how am I bringing my family maybe into my adulthood or into my new family? And there are lessons to learn. But if we think that counseling means that we don't have to obey the fifth commandment, I think we're making a grave mistake. God calls us to something countercultural here. So who are our fathers and mothers? The first is, is our family. It's our parents. But there are other communities we're a part of, not just our family. There are other fathers and mothers. And some of you might say, man, it's, my fathers and mothers are bad. Praise God. God's giving you other fathers and mothers. There are other people in your life. And the second is... Um, is the church, and our fathers and mothers in the church are church leaders. Um, or, you know, in a number of places in the New Testament, those who are spiritually more mature than us are called fathers and mothers. We absolutely need these people in our life. Especially if, if maybe if you don't have a relationship with your father and mother. God brings us other fathers and mothers. And maybe, maybe we can't honor our father, the father and mother we grew up with the other ones that he brings into your life, we need to learn to honor them. And so when God places a spiritual father or mother in your life, do what they say. When they challenge you and say, this, you're making a bad decision, or you need to think about this, it is an important part of humility to say, I will listen to you. And oftentimes you say, I don't feel like it, I don't understand it. We need to do it. It's an important part of the Christian life. And one place that says this is, is in Hebrews uh, 13, where the writer of Hebrews says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. And those who, uh, as those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. The writer of Hebrews says that one of the reasons we should do what our leaders tell us is simply for the sake of their emotional lives. He says, so that it'll be joyful for them. So they won't have to groan. And I'll tell you, leading a church, being a father and mother in a church, carrying the burdens of a church is emotionally exhausting. And we probably don't appreciate how much the elders and the deacons and the diaconal assistants and the staff and the home group leaders, how much they carry emotionally. And I don't want any of you to hear that and say, oh, oh, well, our church leaders are taxed emotionally. I don't want to bring my problems to them. That's not what I'm saying. What I would say, though, is honor them. Resist the criticism. Follow their imperfect leadership, their imperfect decision-making. And you know the reason? is simply for their emotional life. Because if they are groaning and they're beat down, they're weighed down and they're burned out and they're worn out, they will stop and they will leave. And guess what? If we don't have fathers and mothers in this church, guess what we don't have? A church. We don't have a community. It's only because they are here. And I should say, by the way, um, I think our church is good at honoring our leaders. And I don't feel, you know, like you're quick to criticize. And um, I think we're a loving community. And this is a continued 
encouragement in that, so thank you. So we have the community of the family. There's fathers and mothers. In the church, there's fathers and mothers. The third community is, is the government or the nation. And the Bible says that our fathers and mothers are our elected officials. And you'll notice that in verse, chapter 22, verse 28, it says, You shall not revile God, nor curse a ruler of your people. And so Exodus ties together honor for God and honor for those in governing roles are tied together in ancient Israel. And actually, later in the Bible, in, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul expands on this in a really shocking way. This is what it says in Romans 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for, if there, is no, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Then he goes on later to say, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Now what's so amazing about this is that Romans 13, the emperor during the time when Romans was written, was the Emperor Nero, the great persecutor of the early church, this truly wicked ruler, and Paul says, show him honor. Honor is due him. God put him in place. Now, this is a massive topic. I, I don't have time to go into it in depth, but I will say this. We are a society that has lost a sense of civil discourse in our political debate. We have no honor or respect for the people who we disagree with. And Christians should be leading the way in cultivating respectful civil discourse, which means if you're a person, if you're a politically liberal person, that means putting the best spin on how you describe the conservative agenda. If you're a politically conservative person, it means interacting not with sound bites, but with the best, most well-thought-out liberal arguments. And I know that takes time. Take, you know, I know it doesn't fit in with cable news and Facebook and Twitter, but this is the call of God on our lives to treat people with respect and honor who are different than us, and particularly in the political arena. So God has given us many fathers and mothers in the home, in the church, and in the nation, and we are called to the discipline of honoring these authorities. But of course, this raises another big question. At what point does honor stop? Aren't there parents who have been so bad that they have lost their right to honor? Aren't there times when we should leave a church because the church leaders are hurting people? Can a government never be challenged, never be resisted? And so this leads to our second question. How can their authority ever be a challenge? How can the authority of fathers and mothers ever be challenged? And I want to give two simple answers to that. By looking to, uh, their authorities are challenged by looking to other authorities and by looking to other scriptures. By looking to other authorities and looking to other scriptures. So first, by looking to other authorities. And, you know, I mentioned earlier the American Revolution when our, our founding fathers challenged the authority of the British Parliament. And in England, the revolt, the revolution, was often called the Presbyterian Revolt. We're a Presbyterian church, and you might say, well, what does Presbyterianism have to do 
with the American Revolution? Well, um, Presbyterians trace their theological roots to John Calvin. And Calvin, who had to think a lot about challenging authority, he left the Roman Catholic Church and was leader in the Protestant Reformation, um, in his Institutes of the Christian Religion, talked about political theory and whether people could revolt against a king. And after several sections, Calvin's very careful to say, we need to learn to submit to sinful people, sinful rulers, wicked rulers. We need to take a posture of obedience and humility as Christians. But he adds that if the king violently falls upon and assaults lowly common folk, the lower magistrates have a duty to protect them, from, protect them and their freedom and to resist the king. And that's what happened in our revolution. It was the, the, the rulers, the authorities of the colonies who were protecting the colonies against the king. And so the way to resist the king is not to get rid of authority, but it is to rely on other authorities God has placed in power. So, this is similar to in a family. Let's say a wife and children are being abused by a father, the head of a household. A wife might think that since the Bible says she must respect her husband, she can never challenge his authority. But she has other authorities in her life that God has placed in her life. The government and the church. And if he is breaking the law, she should call the police. The police are an authority she lives under. If he is grossly sinning against her, Jesus says, you tell him to stop. If he doesn't, you bring another person. That might be a counselor. That might be a mentor. That might be a, you know, a spiritual father or mother. If he still doesn't listen, then you go to the church, who are the elders, the rulers in the church. And by doing this, she is not saying, I will not submit to authority. She is saying, God has given me many authorities in my life, and he is not the only one. Authorities are meant to be there to protect us. The government is meant to be there to protect us from those who do evil. The church is there to surround us as a spiritual family, to protect us from false doctrine and for immorality. The family is there to provide a safe and structured environment for children to flourish. And if any of those institutions is failing to protect, the others are there to help pro provide that protection. So God has given us a plurality of authorities, a plurality of mothers and fathers who play this role in our lives. Now, of course, that raises the question, what if the family, the church, and the government are all corrupt? What if none of them are protecting? Uh, that's, uh, a, we should grieve a situation like that. But how does a person not close themselves off to authority absolutely? And the answer is that God himself is the supreme authority, and we know there is a good authority in this world. And one of the ways that God exercises his authority is through his word. He has given us his word. This is how he rules his people. And so the second answer to how we can ever challenge an authority is not only by going to other authorities, but also by looking to other scriptures. And I think this is, it's important to highlight that the fifth commandment is not <coughs> the only verse that talks about how we relate to our parents. So, for example, if you go back to Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2 says that a man shall leave his father and mother 
and be joined to his wife. So the Bible says on one hand, we should honor our mothers and fathers, and we have to leave our fathers and mothers. These are both important. And, you know, some of you experienced that when you got married. And, you know, the parents were calling, and they were saying, well, you're going to be at Thanksgiving, and you're going to be at Christmas, and you're going to be at the birthdays. And you're saying, wow, this is, uh, we need a little distance from our parents. And you might, they, maybe your parents even said to you, you're not honoring me. Well, there are other verses in the Bible. You need to leave your father and mother. And as some of you said, you know, I've reflected on my family. I need some distance from my family. I learned unhealthy things about what it means to be a a family in my early family. And I need to leave and go start a new family with a new culture and a new way of relating. And so the command to honor father and mother must be balanced with other scriptures. Or another example We might think that the only obligation is for children to give honor to their parents. You know, it's kind of a one-way giving relationship. But there are obligations for parents as well. Ephesians 6 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. If your children don't honor you because you have embittered them, you've been critical, you beat them down, you've had a heavy environment... Don't go saying it's their fault that they don't do the fifth commandment. Reformed theologians have said that relationships of authority are two ways. Both have obligations to give to the other. And the way that we understand the nuance of all these relationships is not by looking at one verse, honor your father and mother, but looking at the whole of what the Bible says. And so what these first two points tell us is that first we must embrace in our hearts that we need authorities. We need fathers and mothers in our lives. And it is crucial that we show honor and obedience to those fathers and mothers in the family or in the church or in the government. But the Bible recognizes that the only absolute authority is God himself. None of these authorities are absolute. And if authority ever calls me to disobey what God has said in his authoritative word, I must obey God. And this supremacy of God leads to the last question I want to consider. How can we learn to love authority? If we're suspicious of authority, and we don't like words like obey and submit and revere, how can we learn to love authority? And uh, this last summer, I... As many of you know, I had a sabbatical and got to read a a number of books to feed my own soul. And one of those books is called The The Rule of St. Benedict. It's written in the 5th or 6th century. And Benedict was uh, lived during the downfall of the Roman Empire. And he left kind of the decadent culture of Rome and started these little monastic communities that lived according to a rule that's written out in in the Rule of St. Benedict. And these monasteries that spread all through Western Europe basically built the civilization of Western Europe over the next thousand years. They were the centers of learning. They were the centers of spiritual formation. And um, the chapter that struck me more than any of, of the others was the one titled Obedience. And if you turn in your bulletin uh, to page three, I, I put the opening couple sentences of that chapter I just want to read the first sentence to you. The first step of humility 
is unhesitating obedience, which comes naturally to those who cherish Christ above all. Listen to those words again. The first step of humility is unhesitating obedience, which comes naturally to those who cherish Christ above all. Why are we a people who have come to love authority? We celebrate, why do we celebrate submission and honoring people, even those who don't deserve it? What Benedict is saying is because behind every authority, we see the God we love, the God who has loved us. Behind every earthly father, we see the true father, the one who really listens to our prayers, the one who provides all we need and teaches us and encourages us and disciplines us. Behind every ruler, we see Jesus, the true king, the king of kings, the one who cares for the weak and the poor and the least among us. Behind every church leader, we see the Holy Spirit, the true counselor and teacher. who intimately knows our inner life and always speaks the right words at the right time. Because authority is ultimately about trust. And even though we may not be sure we can trust earthly authorities, we can trust him. What Benedict is saying is that the only way we can learn to be people for whom honor and obedience and submission are natural is when we know that there is truly a good authority in the world, there is a good father, the only one ultimately worthy of our honor, and this is his world. And because we know his goodness, we can say to him, your will be done, I will trust you. Let's pray pray together. Father in heaven, We praise you for these challenging words. I think of my brothers and sisters here thinking of the fathers and mothers in their lives, thinking of themselves as fathers and mothers. We pray for your mercy to us. Would these words be beautiful and hopeful that you want fathers and mothers in our lives. You want community in our lives. Teach us to live together and teach us the art of honor and obedience. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.